Our scripture reading this morning is from James, the book of James, and the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Again, that's James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the word of the Lord. We are so excited to be here. Um, This is a day that's been a long time coming. Some of you have been kind of in on that journey. Some of you maybe didn't know anything about it, but um, it's been a long time, it's been a long process. Um, Even in the Presbyterian way that that happens, this has been a long process. And um, there were times that we were like, this is this really, ha- is this may not ever come. This may just be, this may just be a big long joke. Um, there have been, there have been, you know, 5,000 steps of this journey uh, to get here. Um, I think we were here kind of the middle of March, and, and I probably have more gray hairs than I had the last time. Just, there's just been so much to go through in all of, uh, of the process to be here, but um, uh we, we, I, I learned something about myself uh, over the last couple of weeks and months, and that is I maybe have some hoarding tendencies, um, and you don't know that until you try to move, and you think, where did all this stuff come from? I don't know, but um, I did want to show you just a quick picture of uh, part of our adventure of getting here. Um, we, if you've ever used U-Haul, and I hope nobody here works for U-Haul, but um, if you've ever used them, you're not exactly sure what you're going to get. And um, poor Beth, I was trying to ex- teach her how to um, drive this U-Haul trailer because she, you know, drove one too up here. And um, on her first drive, first time ever driving a trailer, this happened. This is not a flat tire. It's not, it, the whole hub assembly, if you know anything about wheels, the whole thing just fell off. We're just driving and it just goes bouncing <laughs> literally down the road. So, um, that was just a little bit, just a little small part of our adventure over the last couple of weeks of getting, getting here. So, um, but we are, we are so excited and we've just been so blessed by all of your hospitality and graciousness and, and notes some of you have called and emailed and texted throughout the last uh, few months and it's just been so encouraging. We just are thankful for all of that. Um, as we start our time together, I, I want to show you another picture, um, and it's a, a picture that, that, that I really love. Um, you will f- come to find out that I, I like history maybe a little too much at times. I, it's probably a terrible picture. I, I, there's probably a better one. That, um, but just kind of look at that, see what you can see in there for just a second. As you can tell, it's a, it's a, it's a photo of a stained glass window. Um, and I don't know French, so I apologize. But this window is in, is it Chart, France? Is that right? Okay, I'll take your word for it. Um, it's a huge, famous, like, gigantic cathedral. Um, massive, massive, if you want to just look it up. It's beautiful. And you're just seeing one tiny little, I mean, there's like a thousand different pictures of stained glass windows. But this one is, I think, is really interesting and unique. 
Um, and so I just, yeah, kind of want you to, to notice the, the people towards the top there. Um, what do you see about the picture? Everybody's getting a piggyback ride, right? And that, that's what's happening. If you can see, there's, there's guys getting piggyback rides. That's, but it's, actually, it's really something much more interesting than that. So Chart is where um, a bishop originated the statement, standing on the shoulders of giants. That's, you've probably heard that, st- that phrase before. Well, it was in French and not that, but this is where it comes from. And, and, and part of what he was talking about when he used that statement, coined that phrase, um, is how those of us who are in the New Testament have the benefit of standing on the shoulders of the saints of, the, of old, the saints of the Old Testament. Um, and so this, this stained glass window represents his famous quote. Um, they put it in there to honor kind of where that, that came from. And so um, on the bottom, there's, there's, so in the middle is, is Jesus, I think. I'm pretty sure that's Jesus. And, but on the sides, you've got four guys, right? Two on the left, two on the right. And on the bottom, okay, you've got uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel, right? So you've got these prophets of the Old Testament who were pointing to what was about to happen. And they didn't get to see it firsthand, right? But they were the ones who, who kind of set the framework for what was to come. And then standing on their shoulders, literally standing on their shoulders, you have, you could probably guess, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? The writers of the New Testament uh, uh, Gospels who got, to, who, who got to stand on the benefit of what they had, uh, had done and what they had, had prophesied about. So... Um, to me, it's a beautiful realization uh, that our faith is built on the shoulders uh, of, of the faith of others. I, I am here today because countless people poured into my life somewhere down the road, right? They taught my VBS. They watched me in a preschool class. They, you know, you just name it. They were youth volunteers. They drove a van so I could go to camp, right? All of those kinds of things. That's part of the reason why I'm here uh, I would assume if I asked you, what, tell me about your faith journey and your story. It would include your parents, hopefully, and, and all kinds of people who have poured into your life. And you stand on the shoulder of those, uh, shoulders of those giants. And, and because I like history, I'm just amazed, right? So, so come, I come from Amarillo, which basically 1890s is when things started there, right? There's, there's things that, uh, the oldest things in town are just now 100 years old. Right, that's all that's left. There's no houses older than 50 years. I mean, it just, maybe a little bit. But this church started in 1844. That just blew me away. I, um, Texas is older than that, but we joined the, the union, right, because we were our own nation. We, uh, Texas joined in 1845. So this church actually was here before Texas was a part of the United States. Which was, anyway, blows me away. I don't have any clue of how many pastors have served here. Maybe y'all know the number, but I'll have to look that up. But, but a bunch, right? Um, and, and, I, and I have gotten to meet and talk to a few of the former pastors here. And, 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 and having done that, I know that, that um, you all have had your fair share of giants in this place. And, um, you know, Kishwaukee here today in 2022 stands on the shoulders of, uh, of giants who for almost 180 years 
have, have held firm to Christ, have, have taught his word and learned his word and lived it and, and, and shared his gospel. That's a long time. That's a lot of shoulders and a lot of giants. And so I just love that, that idea that God has been at work here for a really long time, has been, and I, and I think he's going to continue to be. And, and Christ is going to continue to be the cornerstone of all that takes place here. So there you go. There's, there's, that's a long introduction. But I, <laughs> uh, I've been, you know, had a lot of time to kind of think about what, what I want to preach about this morning. What, what's the sermon? And I, and I remembered somebody joked one time that, Every pastor only has one sermon. They just package it differently, right? And if you've been around pastors, you know, they kind of have their one, like, that's their wheelhouse sermon, and, and everything else is just kind of points to that same one, right? There's, they just have one. So I thought, well, if we've only got one, then maybe I just better give it to you right out of the gate, and uh, you'll, get my, you'll get my one sermon. You don't have to come back again because you've got—I'm just kidding. But— Anyway, so yeah, I've just thought, well, I'll just give you, if I had to give one message, right, if, if the whole world was tuning in today and, and, and I knew they could hear one message, what's the one message, right? Here, here's, here it is, right? And so that leads us to our passage, and, and it's a passage that, that, that hopefully you've heard or familiar with, um, but it's one I, I hope you, you know and, and, and remember in so many different times of life. So the question for this morning is where is our hope, right? And this passage is about that question, where is our hope? Uh, so with that question, let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thank you for the work that you do in our lives, through our lives, all around us, and the way that you use your word to change not just us, but, uh, but so many. God, would you Give us ears to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the, of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this morning, I want to look at two questions. What and so what? Okay, what and so what? And the what, it's very simple, right? What does this mean? And so, so quickly, we'll talk about what this passage is about. The, the, the author tells us there are two things that we can take refuge in. The first is the character of his purpose. The character of his purpose. And the second is his oath. His oath. So the first we can, we can kind of say in a different way, and that is God's plan. Right? The first thing we can take refuge in is God's plan. So, so maybe say it like this. If, if God is holy and all-powerful and completely good, then anything he plans to do is ultimately good. Anything he plans to do is ultimately good. It is impossible for God to do something that is not good. 
because it would be against his nature, right? Ultimately good, we might not see it as good, right? You all have lived in, in times of that where this doesn't seem good, but at the end you go, well, okay, God was doing something totally different than I could have imagined. Ultimately good is what we're talking about. We know in places like Romans 8.28, right, that God is working all things out for his people in a way that will ultimately be good. Ultimately good. That's how things are with God. He is good. The things that he is doing are good. So, and the second part is his oath. You know, sometimes people to, to, to up their promise, right, or to make their story more believable, they will say something like, right? I swear to God. You've heard people say this, right? I want you to believe me. I swear to God. God doesn't have to do that, right? God doesn't have to. Any vow that he makes is a vow unto himself because he is truth. He is the author of truth. He is the, the origin of truth. Anything he says, his oath is truth. So it's secure. And so the author of Hebrews here is saying that that God made a promise to Abraham a long time ago, and we are the living benefits of that promise, right? He said, I'm going to bless the whole world through your offspring, and we're part of that, and Jesus is a part of that. So we can take refuge in who God is and the plans that he's carrying out, and then what he has said he will do, his vow. And so we're going to fast forward through some of this, kind of to the end part, and we see that Jesus is the promise. Okay, Jesus is the promise that, that God has made and, and, and is kept working all things good through his oath. Jesus is that promise. And, and what the author is telling us is, is that there's Jesus and he enters into the inner place behind the curtain. He says, like a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Kind of a, a, an odd phrase, right? Um, but just, just quickly, you may remember that, that um, in the tabernacle and in the temple, right, in the Old Testament, there was this place where God said, my actual presence will be. You can, you can know that my presence is, is residing in this place with you. Uh, we called it the whole, it was called the Holy of Holies, right? And uh, it was a room that, that held the Ark of the Covenant and all kinds of different parts of it. But that, that, was, the, that was the room, and, and no one was allowed to go into that room, right, except the high priest who could go once a year. And, 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 and it was such a special place, right? There was this veil that was put in between everything else and that one special room where God, the presence of God was. And it was a place that you and I would never have been allowed to go. We could not go there. It was forbidden. It was off limits. But we know that Jesus tore that veil, right? We know that he tore the division where God's presence was and it was cut off from every, everything else. And, and, and here in, in this chapter, we, we find out that Jesus is in God's presence for eternity and he is doing the work that a priest would do from the Old Testament, right? And, which means he is advocating on our behalf always. So, so he is doing the work of a priest. He is telling God, hey, I love this one. I'm, I'm on his side. We're working things out for good for that one. I love that one. That's what's happening. And so, so it's important 
to, to, to kind of talk now about the, 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 the so what of, of, of all of that. Because this passage is, I mean, we could spend a year talking about all that this passage means for us in the so what. But, um, well, again, you only, this is your only one message, right? I'm just giving you the one. So, so I want you to hear it again. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, I have spent most of my life in Texas. I've lived in California uh, and Colorado and, and, and in various places in all those three states. But, but I have to admit, I don't know that much about rivers and lakes and oceans. Okay, we'll sh- I'll show you some pictures of our hometown sometime. And you'll say, why do people live there? But they do. And, and I promise you, there's no, a, a boat has zero value and purpose in a place like where we're from. Why would you have one? But anyway, so when I read about an anchor, I have to admit that I don't have a whole lot of experience with them. A a lot of you probably do and know a whole lot more about about anchors. But here, I'll tell you what I do know, right? An anchor goes on a boat or a ship, and its, its job is to bring stability and safety to something that is unstable, right? To something that is always moving uh, by the waves and the currents. An anchor uh, keeps a ship from going anywhere as long as there is something firm for that anchor to hold on to, right? This passage is suggesting that Jesus is the anchor that holds us to the promises and the character of God, right? So see that image for just a second, right? Jesus is the anchor that's holding us to the firm thing that will never fail or, and, and will always be true. And that is God, right? We just talked about his oath and his, who he is and his plans, right? Jesus is the anchor for us to all of that. And this is a beautiful thing. So let me just mention a few things practically where, where, where this is so important and valuable for us. First, let me just tell you that life is really hard. Harder than we normally think that it's going to be, right? I, some of us can tend to be optimists and go, oh, we'll get that done and it, it'll be fine. The life is going to go this way. It doesn't, does it? And, and I think if I asked all of you about the last, you know, we'll just say three or four years um, of all the things that are happening in our country and happening in the world and, you know, I'm sure happening here I hope there would be some wonderful stories in there. You'd, you could tell me some things that are amazing that have happened in the last few years. And, 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 but I'm also assuming that there are things in your life that have, have been forever changed that will not go back to whatever normal looked like, right? They're not going back to that. Life has been really hard. It's been difficult. Things aren't the way that they were and, and, and we've all struggled to figure out what is that even going to look like now? And I don't know. I, you know, I marvel. I don't know how people without the hope of Christ get, have, have gotten through things in, in, in recent times. I just don't know. I, I know for me the last 
four, five, six years without Christ as my anchor, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made it. I just wouldn't have. I, I wouldn't be here. When everything else around has been unstable, Christ has been an anchor. For me, I hope for you as well. And so this passage is, is the reminder for us that when we experience hardship, when things are chaotic, right, we have an anchor. And our, our New Testament reading is one of my, one of my favorites, right? Hopefully um, it comes to your mind in the middle of difficult things, right? Consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. We have this firm foundation in the midst of all of that. That God is working something greater than we can see. That's that's where we we, we can have hope in, in all of those times. And in another place where we need an anchor is in an area of doubt. I've been reading the journal of a, of a well-known pastor uh, and author. He wrote so many books that it's, uh, you can't keep track of all of them, right? But he's, he was a famous guy, and he did all these great things in his life, super well-known. But in the end of his life, he's writing in his journal, and he's pr- crying out to God, and he says he was disappointed, he, he said, God, I have served you all these years. I've done all these things. I've written all these books. I've been all over the world for you. Why is my faith still so hard? Why is it still so hard to have faith in you and so hard to trust you? And, and, and I'll just tell you, as I read that, I was, two things happened to me. I was both encouraged and I was discouraged, right? At the same time as I read this prayer by this incredible man of God, First, I was discouraged because, uh, you know, uh, this mighty man of, of God still has to work to trust in, in, in his Savior. He still has to work at it. I, I really guess I was hoping that there would be a time in my life that, that faith kind of became this cruise control moment, right? Whew, we got through all of that. Let's just, let's just breeze to the end. We, we got through all that. Now, here we go. Whew. I, I think I kind of had secretly hoped that faith would get easy at some point. But I, I know from reading guys like this and, and talking to folks who have lived way longer lives than me and have, have, have had faith for a whole lot longer than I have, it doesn't. It never gets easy. Every day is a, God, I have to, I don't know. I guess I trust you, but I don't know where we're headed with this. This is hard, God. It's not easy. It's never going to get easy. And I think maybe that's the point. I don't think faith is ever supposed to be easy I was also encouraged. I was encouraged to know that everyone struggles. Even guys like that. Right? We're in the same boat together in that it is hard. Guess what all of us can know from from Hebrews 6? That Jesus is the anchor when our faith wavers. He's the one that holds on. Not us. It's him. There's a, a beautiful little promise in, in uh, 2 Timothy 2.13 that says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. When we are faithless, Jesus remains faithful. That's the best news ever. 
Jesus is the faithful one, not us. The last thing I want to tell you is that that, that this passage makes all the difference in the world when it comes to salvation. And and I'm going to guess that, that a lot of you have similar struggles, but there are many days that I just wake up and I think, this can't be true. There's really no way that God actually loves me. I'm probably not the only one in the room, but, but that's a struggle. You know, I think God knows all the things that I did. He knows my secret thoughts in my heart. He knows how, how, how decayed and, 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 and rotten I am. He knows how selfish I was yesterday. He knows how rude I was before that. He knows that, that I'm greedy and lustful and, and all the things, right? There's no way that this God loves me. There, there's a, there, a phrase that's been going out the last couple of years that says, facts don't care about your feelings. Maybe you've heard that, right? Facts don't care about your feelings. And, and I could say it this way. God's facts, God's truth, it doesn't care about my feelings. And I find that actually comforting. Because if, if I trusted my emotions, if the truth were how I felt, there'd be, be bad news. But God's truth, which is Christ, doesn't care. It doesn't change based on my feelings. This passage tells us, and you, you and I can't argue it, even in, when we feel low and unlovable, we can't argue with what is being said here. It says that God swore upon himself. God swore to God that Jesus is the hope, that Jesus is the anchor that you and I can depend on, that doesn't ever let go. No matter what, no matter what, Jesus is in the presence of God advocating for you and for me. He is for us. He's for us. And that cannot change. John 10, 27 and 28 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Listen, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You can trust that your salvation is secure not because you are good enough, or faithful enough, or because you have done enough things at church, you've served on enough committees, right? But because Jesus loves you, and he will never lose you. We are ragamuffins, right? Ragamuffins loved by God. What is a ragamuffin, you ask? There's a great book about them, uh, by a guy named Brennan Manning. Uh, And in that book, uh, this is how he describes it. Who and what are the ragamuffins? They are the unsung assembly of saved sinners who are little in their own sight, conscious of their brokenness and powerlessness before God, and who cast themselves on His mercy. Startled by the extravagant love of God, they do not require success, fame, wealth, or power to validate their worth. That's, that's hopefully us, right? 
that we understand that Christ is the anchor, not because of anything that we have done, but because he loves us. So this is my one message. I hope you keep coming back and and hearing it more and more. It, It will sound different, but Christ is our anchor. He is the one who keeps us in the storm. He is the one who secures us in our doubts. He is the one who holds our salvation secure in his hands. Let's pray to the one who is faithful and true. Oh, Father, we are so unworthy um, to be heirs of this promise, to be recipients of the promise, to be called into your family. Why you would want us here, I don't understand. God, but we are thankful. Would you help us in all seasons of life to trust in you, to to remember that Christ is the anchor. The reason that we can have hope, the reason we can be secure, the reason we can know that we are forgiven and will be with you in eternity is because Christ is our anchor. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.